healing on the full moon. Right. Mother writes. In healing to other, tis balm to oneself. The dart in thine breast, twas shot from within. Self-love begins where self-harm ends. Thou must love me to own myself. So, having concluded the ritual, it's time for a rite of passage. Having allowed water to carry away the fragments of dislike, hate and fear, your next rite of passage is to ensure you do not accidentally wander back to the same prison in future. The most direct, and often the most difficult, is to learn how to send out positive emotion to those people. Not neutral, not to ignore them or try and cut them out of your life, but to give them the emotions which you would like to have them give to you. Think about it. And before you can do this, in the mornings, when you wake to the light and you become aware of your natural boundary surrounding you, take some time to strengthen that boundary for your day ahead. You can do this by pouring more colour into the mix or even changing the colour to something that you would feel be of more value to you. Colour's important. Start to trust your feelings and don't try too hard at this stage. What you need now will come to you. The time of the morning light and the space between waking and sleeping will start to have an even greater magical significance as you start to create the direct link between the magic of your inner world and what it is that you choose to project outwardly during the day. I've got to be completely honest with you at this point. I personally found this right very, very hard to do. I cannot pinpoint whether it's my ingrained English cynicism or my scientific rationalism that reared its ugly head at this point, but I found myself in full-on donkey mode. You know what I mean. The donkey that doesn't want to go somewhere just sits down and nothing can move it. I just couldn't imagine how this was going to enhance the magic in my life. Okay, I had to admit that all the stages which had been through on my journey up to this point had brought their rewards, sometimes direct and sometimes oblique, but there was always a clear benefit, a step forward. And I recognised that my life had started to change. And the goals which I had set myself were starting to take shape in the world of my outer reality. I had started to ask for help. And get it. I was really starting to believe in the version of reality that existed in my mind, one in which I was successful and happy, free and fulfilled. Events and coincidences, which I could only call supernatural, were starting to become commonplace for me. The changes were all starting to happen. And I was beginning, just beginning, mind you, to trust the process. But this... What possible value could there be in sending out positive thoughts and feelings to those who'd hurt me? Surely it'd be better for me to preserve my good emotions for those who deserve them. What about me? What about self-love? 
I did not buy into this at all. So, I did the logical thing. I just ignored the step. Well, what would it matter, really? I was getting on very well. And the fact that I couldn't see a value meant that it wasn't relevant to me, perhaps. That's what I chose to believe, anyway. So I carried on doing what I had been doing up to this point, paying close attention to the early morning rite of waking to the light and strengthening my boundaries. I was doing fine. Then suddenly, it all started to unravel. The production company I was making the TV series with was taken over by a large American conglomerate and I went from walking my path to a headlong slide down. I was about to learn why the word career had these two meanings. The name of the series was changed from hypnoconfessional to sex, lies and hypnosis and I was no longer in control of events. I hated what was happening. I found myself in opposition with the director, which was truly upsetting, as up until then we'd got on really well. Now I had a genuine concern that my oh-so-modern wish to be famous was about to backfire horribly. I didn't get much sleep during that time, and I could feel my boundaries shrinking away from me like the gums on an old crone. Why had that image come to me so strongly? I could feel the shade of Mother Shipton moving my rocking chair back and forth and it started to get on my nerves. I had a choice. Get back on the path and move forward or let all the magic slip through my fingers like so much sand. So I did as I was told. I listed all those hateful people On individual pages, I wrote down all the events and feelings, and when I was done, I tore those sheets into the smallest of pieces and walked to the Thames. My river. Okay. So, it was also the river of millions of others. But I know it as part of me. Part of the magic. I walked to the middle of Westminster Bridge, and I waited for the wind to change so it would carry my pages onto the grey artery of London. I let the pages go and watch them flutter down to the river. Gone. Now for the hard part. To send out positive emotions and to take positive action for those people whose hate had got into my head. Don't get me wrong. I was still resentful. I felt as if I was being forced to do something that was against my nature, against myself. But I did it. It was so hard for me because the hurt was much older than I chose to acknowledge. When it first happened, and it didn't go on for long, not like with some people, I was 11 years old. I got book tokens for my birthday. I was growing up. There were three of them, but really it was just one boy and two watchers. They were a year older than me. I knew them from school. And I could avoid them there. It was on the walk home that I was vulnerable and they picked me off like parka-clad crows. Some say that no child is evil. But in the heart of the ringleader, blackness was condensed into his diminutive frame. Adulthood did not dilute it, but it gave him less scope to inflict pain. Funny enough, I saw him not long ago. 
There was no registration in his eyes when he saw me watching him. This was also the first time I actually remember being visited by mother. But let me put this into some order so you can see clearly. When it happened first, I was scared and confused and I felt that I was ugly and alone. I had no idea what was happening to me, just that it was a secret. and If I told anybody about it, I would die. This much I believed. I knew. For five nights afterwards, I stayed awake as long as I could. And from my window, I watched mother looking for me. I could feel her seeking me out. She looked into the other houses in the surrounding streets. I could see her moving around their bedrooms and peering out of the windows into the night gardens. Her dark looks frightened me more than what was happening to me and I tried to learn how to fly before she could find me. When the night finally came and she appeared in my room, peering over the bed to look at my face, she sniffed like the witch in the gingerbread house story. I thought she'd come to eat me. And I didn't mind. Not that much, anyway. That way I'd be safe. And it wouldn't happen again. I raised myself up on my elbows to look at her properly. And she smiled. A wide toothless smile that weirdly made her look like a very young girl. I smiled back and she raised her gnarly fingers to my lips to prevent me from speaking. She taught me how to fly. To fly away so that when it happened again, I wouldn't be there. At first, I could only fly downwards in a sort of spiral motion at that. The first time I did it, I found myself back downstairs watching my parents preparing for bed. I watched my father walk out of the room and switch off the light as he left, regardless of the fact that his wife was still sitting there reading. I watched her stillness as she sat in the dark, alone. By the foot, Mother pulled me roughly back into my room. That's not what this is for, child. You mustn't use it to pry. It will only end in tears. Yours. I dropped my bottom lip sulkily, but soon recovered when Mother flew me out of the window. This is what it's for. I could feel her hand holding me and the sensation of the air around me, but I didn't feel cold. I watched snowflakes settle on her cloak as we flew. I was free here. I went out to the peaks, past old man's head, and landed in a heathery field. The sheep turned to stare at us as mother guided me to a black rock where she signalled me to sit. The sheep followed. How come they can see us? I asked. They see me, child. You are not here. I didn't ask more questions. There was no reason to. She'd come for me and taken me away. Mother had taught me how to fly, and for that, I was grateful. Unquestioning. <laughs>
I could now fly to her on my own from then on, and would meet her by the farm in Agnes's cottage, her mother's cottage, and rest my head on her lap while she told me stories. I found sanctuary by her hearthstone. She told me lots of stories then. Stories about magic. Stories about numbers. Stories about people. She poured the knowledge into my empty head and sealed it away to be released in its own time so it, too, would not harm the child that I was then. She held my head in her rough hands and made me promise that I would keep the knowledge safe until others were ready for it, until the day when I was ready to open the door in my mind, until I became the teacher. I promised and yawned wider and wider until lulled by the heat of the fire in the hearth, I slept. I could feel her hand stroking my hair and hear her gentle crooning. I did try to tell others. I did try. Somehow the words wouldn't come. The threat of death was real. I didn't want to die. I wanted to survive. I wanted to live. So I bit down on the words and my skin went blue and yellow and green from the effort. I sucked in hard to stop the words from leaking out of my mouth and watched the blood seep up through my pores. I became a chameleon in the hope that they wouldn't be able to see me or find me anymore. I bit down on my pain. My mother saw it, though, and she cried. She thought it was about her, that there was something she had done or not done. She wouldn't believe that I was doing this damage to myself, even when the doctor moved my limbs around like a marionette to show her how I had done this to myself. Mark to lips, mark to lips, in a parody of painful kisses. I saw pain in my mother's eyes and I stopped biting. But I decided then to never speak of my own pain. I knew that the words would burn my lips, so I kept them within me, burning. I was a survivor. The last time it happened and my mind took flight to Agnes's cottage, there was no fire in the hearth and Mother stood in the doorway, dressed for travelling. She took my hand, even though I didn't want her to. I knew then that she was taking me back there, to them, to be there as it happened. I closed my eyes tightly and I waited in stillness for it to begin. Then I saw Mother smiling at me and I felt her step into my frame, into my body. I was to be a marionette once more, but this time, the scary kind. She used my voice and acid from the words coated my speech with corrosive power. She used my limbs to lash out and 
bite. I opened my eyes and I saw them recoil as they fell into the black eyes of mothers. Many, many mothers, their own, their father's mothers, their own mothers, mothers. Her eyes in my head looked at their faces and told them their greatest fear, that they would die alone and in pain. The words came from inside their heads and rooted them to the spot. I closed my eyes and fell as mother left my body, breaking the spell they ran from me, from us. My eyes teared blood in payment for her act. She left my body empty and returned me to safety. I don't remember going home or going to bed, but I know she stayed with me as I slept fitfully that night. Each time I woke, she was there, sitting in the corner of the room, muttering musically under her breath, always the same phrase, just below hearing, but somewhere deep inside of me, I responded. She was there, ever vigilant. I was safe. It wouldn't happen again. It didn't happen again, and she weaved her words and sealed the doors of that history as well as she could. She locked that door and preserved my sanity with its bolts. The memory was imprisoned and left to rot until there was nothing left but dust. There was enough for me. I could survive. The chameleon in me stayed on, though. Not the blue and purple skin, but the invisibility I learnt then. I could disappear if I wanted to. I still can. I survived. But to heal myself through pity of those who'd done these things to me, or even through love, that, to me, felt like a very different story. Mother's instructions for this part of the journey came at too high a price, I felt. She asked me to send out love to those who had harmed me. I couldn't do it. I made a choice. Pity? Mercy? Maybe? Love? No. Some of those people were now dead to me, the physically dead or so far removed from where I was now that there was little I could do to reach them anyway. I bargained with myself on this part of the journey and you might find yourself doing the same. It's all about choice. I chose a partial healing. I could hear the words of John Lennon's crippled inside as I decided on this route. And I believe I know its true meaning. There was not enough strength in me or willingness to send out love to those who'd harmed me so deeply. I bargained that to keep a little of the pain was a price I would choose rather than give love to those who'd hurt me with malice and deliberation. I chose pity as my balm. It was the hardest act of all for me to send out pity to those people each morning when I woke to the light. But I now know that with this act I healed myself. It wasn't about them anymore, their thoughts or feelings, it was about me. So, to those people, I send out pity with a capital P. 
unconditional pity, a pity that could or would not be returned and expected no reply, a pity that in some dark place of me I knew would cripple them if they know about it, because it meant I had taken back my power. A pity which, for those, perhaps, who had been hurt in their own time, would bring some peace. I made a decision then to reserve love for those, that's love with a capital L, for those who enriched and nourished me. I would not and could not love those people who'd done those bad things, but it was time to give them my pity. If this was to make my journey to the source harder, then it was my choice. Just as each step you take and how far you choose to go within it is also your choice. It became all about choice. Just as it will for you. The things you choose to do, those you choose not to do, will determine the speed which you travel and the path you take on your way to connect to the source. And so I doled out my pity person by person, day by day, even when I did not have names for those people. I did it during the time when I connected with the light each morning. I strengthened and thanked my boundary first, and then sent out pity to each and every one of those people. And you know what? Every day it got easier. Each day the corrosive resentment lessened. Each day I noticed that I moved closer to the path. And instead of a headlong slide, who knows where, I was back in control again. I had taken the career and shaped its meaning to conform with my inner reality once more. I had my magic back. The others, those with whom I had different stories and were still present in my life, required more than just the sending out of thoughts. These people required action. This was the price that I'd chosen to pay to progress on the journey to the source. My arrogance in deciding what I did and did not need from this process was teaching me a simple lesson. All of us, in some shape or form, need to pass through each stage of the journey. Some will be easier than others, but it isn't for you to deselect any which seem too difficult. You have to earn your connection with the source. I earned mine through words as well as deeds. At first, I wrote letters, thinking that I could create an easier option than making direct contact with people who'd hurt me. Then I realised that this would not be enough. And in the letters, as well as telling those people how they'd hurt me, I went on to tell them that I would welcome them as part of my life and that I forgave them, and asked them to forgive me if there was anything in my behaviour which had prompted their reaction towards me. In writing the letters, I could feel those people with me in the room, but the weirdest thing was I didn't fear them anymore. They could not hurt me as I was taking control. These were strange letters to write, 
even stranger to receive, I could imagine. Only one from my recent past contacted me, telling me they did not want to hear my excuses and telling me never to contact them again. I found this especially interesting as at no point had I attempted to excuse my own behaviour. The words I had written to them had changed form when they hit the prison walls of their own mind. For me, I had fulfilled my part of the bargain. I had given freely and with as much love as I was capable of giving to each. Once I had completed those letters, I knew I was back on track. I could move forward, and by strengthening my boundary every day, I would never put myself in the prison of someone else's negative emotions again. Each day, when I sent out positive feelings to those people, I could feel the gaps in my boundaries healing. I was growing stronger through these actions. I soon came to realise that in my inner reality, I had the right to say no and to leave others and their problems outside of this safe space. I could leave other people's opinions of me in the outer reality and not carry it around as a burden in my inner world. Without the negative emotions of other people invading my inner reality, things became so clear. I now knew that I had a right to care for myself first. I would take time daily to value and strengthen my boundary whilst I rested in the light. Most of all, I would be prepared for any others who would try to climb into my head and manipulate my magic. I was back in control. Mother writes, No more the fool, lest love is lost. To love the other comes at no small cost. In loving self comes selfless pace. No maiden, mother and crone will all earn their place. And on completing this, it is time. Time for a closure ritual. Open the circle. Light the candle. And focus on the light from the flame. Reflect on the power of the morning light and how you feel when you connect with it. Open your book and write down your thoughts and feelings. Then close the book and hold it in your hands. Close your eyes and feel your way into the words. Feel the power of the words that you've already written there. From now on, make time in the evening to write down any events or coincidences from the day which you feel are signs that you're on your way to the source. Do something random. Maybe go online and register as a post pal. Agree to write to or support or send gifts and cards to a sick child. 
With this act, you offer hope and love to those who will most benefit from it, and you'll get back this love manifold. You support a sick child and it stops you from feeling sorry for yourself and reminds you what's really important in life. And what's that? People. Good people. Become one of them with this simple act. Times when we are feeling this